Regrets and Ramona Shelburne. Two R's on double R. Ramona's going to talk about Lowry Markkinen and her piece in the Hoop Collective column. On Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com, I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Does New York regret not trading for Donovan Mitchell? That next on First Fake. So I feel like that was going to be the open topic if I wanted to go down that route. And it seems pretty natural to think about it that way because New York was in town last night. And you look at where both teams are. Where New York is, where Cleveland is. And you could go to the extended universe of jazz trades. Do the Nets regret trading for Royce O'Neal? Or the big one, Minnesota with Rudy. They haven't gotten off to a big start. Do do they regret doing the move? I don't think you could take stock into a trade 15 games in, but does Minnesota regret trading for Rudy? No, they don't. They got a really good player back, and when we talked to Jim Peterson earlier this year, it was always going to take a long time because they have to figure out how to make Rudy and Cat work together. They have to have a point guard that, can do the things that maximize everybody's potential. So it's going to be a work in progress with them. But New York, last night, natural to think about it. I don't know if it was addressed on the broadcast, but it has to be addressed about how everybody thought that these two teams would make a deal. Remember having Alan Hahn on this podcast and talking about what could be available either side. What type of player is Quentin Grimes? Remember when everybody was at Summer League just looking at the New York Knicks Summer League roster to see, oh my goodness, Quentin Grimes is really good. He can't even get into the rotation. But that's because Tom Thibodeau and that team is so desperate right now. They're at the life cycle where they're having a players-only dinner to get things settled. The knives are out for Tibbs. And that win probably saved his job. Seriously, it bought him time. Because anywhere where you're in a pressurized situations and you're just 7-7, seven and seven, perfectly average, points for, I think, it's 1,609, and points against, it's 1,630. It's right there. It is perfectly average almost. And that's not what it was built to be. They paid R.J. Barrett in the offseason, and it signaled no more deals with Utah. They made a calculated risk to believe the Jazz would come back to them, and they didn't. And so now they're fighting for their lives. I'm sure they're envious of Cleveland, despite that team's recent run. Because Donovan's playing at an all-NBA level, and he's flourishing in a spot that seems sustainable. He has young players around him. But for Utah, I think of Tuesday as a point of adversity. It was never going to be smooth sailing for 82. That's impossible. No team in the league has ever gone a full year without any bumps in the road. The only one you can even conceive of maybe having that happen was that first KD year in Golden State and how'd that end up? The Empire fell. It blew up. He left. So there's no dream year. There's going to be challenges. And the challenge right now is seeing how this team defends. There's no defensive stopper 
There's no one guy that you can put on one player and cool him down. There's no Herb Jones. There's no Marcus Smart. No Mikhail Bridges. There's no Rudy Gobert for that matter. You watch Sunday against Embiid. 50, 10, 5, and 5. First time someone's ever done that since the stat of blocks has been created. Because I'm sure Wilt Chamberlain probably has that number, but they didn't keep blocks as a stat. So in the record books, it's only Embiid. He has the game of his life. And you saw him, didn't matter who checked him. Jared Vanderbilt? Nope. Larry Markkinen? Nope. Kelly Olenek? Not a chance. And then you had Jalen Brunson. 12 points in the fourth quarter, three assists, on a 25-point night. He was backing you down in the post. He loves playing in Utah. It's clear. 40 points in the playoffs. This win in the regular season when his team needed it. He loves it. Got him paid with New York. He's a lot of gratitude towards what the Jazz have done for his career. So there's no one player to stop someone defensively. And now it begins the hard work. Got a couple days. You're going to practice. Because they got a back-to-back against teams that are really good in the Western Conference. Phoenix and Portland. What's this team made of? This is the time that we find out. Regret? You think the Jazz regret winning games earlier in this season? Absolutely not. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Ramona Shelburne. I think you'll enjoy this because she had a, a column in the Hoop Collective where she spoke to Lowry Markinen. His amazing start to the season, his all-star numbers, his confidence, how he's picked up on the rhythm that he had from Eurobasket, and a little bit on the Jazz and Will Hardy. You'll enjoy it because I enjoyed catching up with the Ramona, ESPN senior writer and NBA insider. Here she is, Ramona Shelburne. On Round Ball Roundup. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. expected one version of jazz basketball for the Rudy and Donovan era. Totally different page, Mm -hmm. totally different chapter. Larry comes in and he's excelling. Did you expect this from him? I don't think anybody here expected it. Did you expect it? No, not at all. I mean, look, I thought he was a nice player. I thought he was a good good player, but I didn't know that he could be a, he might be an all-star this year, the way he's playing. And, uh, I, you know, he's always been this, this interesting seven footer. And, and I, I think it's kind of fun. I did it when I met him up, when we met up with him at UCLA, uh, Lowry was walking to the campus. Somebody stopped and take a picture and you, know, you get recognized a lot when you're seven feet tall. And, and I said something about, it. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know why they don't list. They don't list me tall. He's like, I'm, I'm more than seven feet. And it's, it's funny because uh, a lot of, a lot of seven footers don't, don't really want to be listed as seven feet. Like I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant's seven feet tall. 
Like if you, if connect, yeah, it's not listed. <laughs> right. Um, but Lori, Lori's seven feet for real. I think he might be seven one even. And um, he can handle like a guard. He can shoot from anywhere. And I think the biggest thing for him throughout his NBA career is that when you're an interesting seven footer, people kind of don't know what to make of you. They, you know, they, they're, they, they see you can pass, they see you can shoot, they see you can handle, but are you a stretch four? Are you a small ball five? Are you a, are you a, a wing player? Like it's, there's, a, there's, there's this need to define players and roles in the NBA. And I think, you know, some of that is just, that's what we do in life, you know, in anything that you do. Um, but his skill set is so versatile and so wide ranging that the key for him is really just letting him do everything, letting him do a bit of everything. And that's really what the jazz have been able to do. I think he got a lot of, um, I think they got a lot of the idea of how to use him starting last year in Cleveland, when they put him out on the wing and they played him as a, as a perimeter guy, because they played these big lineups with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And then Lowry was out on the wing and he showed this ability to play the three and big lineups and, and defend wing players, which that's, that's a whole other level to be able to do when you're that size. Um, that was pretty eye opening. And then when he played for Finland in Eurobasket, and he's, he's the man in Finland, right? I mean, they, he's, he's their go-to player and they just have him doing everything. And Will Hardy was watching all of that and, and said, let's, let's try that here. And so he, he plays differently in different lineups. He plays differently, um, you know, depending on who, who, who they're matched up against. Um, you know, I, I think he's a, he's really been a revelation this year, but you know, some of it is, some of it is the right situation, right coach, right way of using him. And the other half of it, and maybe even more than half is confidence. And I think that's, that's something that Lowry is probably going to be better at explaining than I would. Right. Cause it's just, it's his life and his confidence levels that have fluctuated throughout his time in the NBA, but confidence really is everything. And especially for a player like like Lowry, who's who's analytical, who's thoughtful, who thinks, who wants to do the right thing and play the right way, I think a lot of times early in his career he was he was overthinking things. Um, one of the stats that I I had looked up, I meant to get it in the store, but we were sort of you know we were trying to get through it pretty, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't as lengthy as I could have made it. Um, was you know, his first couple of years in Chicago, he actually had the ball in his hands a lot. He was he had a lot of touches. And some of that was, you know, he was a lottery pick and they were high on him. And uh, although he was, came over in a trade, right. But he, um, it, you know, they were hiring him, but also, you know, remember, remember the fight between Amir Titch and Bobby Fortis? Yes. That opened up a lot of time playing time for him as a rookie. And so he got a lot of touches and he was in, way more involved than I think he expected and they expected and played really well. But by his third year, the offense had changed. He was touching the ball about half the time that he was touching it uh, his first two years. And it wasn't like he did anything wrong. It's just they changed the way they were playing. And when you have limited amounts of shots, you get to this point where you, you, if, if you miss one, you're, you wonder if you're going to keep playing, if they're going to leave you in there. Um, okay, if you're only going to get eight shots in a game or ten shots in a game, you, you, you're not quite as free or as loose as you are if you're going to get 15 or 20. And so – I think um, it really started working on his confidence in his third year in Chicago that took some time to rebuild. Then fast forward to the summer that year when he has a pretty yucky experience in restricted free agency. <laughs> yucky is the right word. Um, and it, it's hard to 
feel great about yourself and your place in the league after going through the last that year in Chicago, the restricted free agency, which was kind of, you know, uh, yucky. Right? I mean, they, the, the, the process of leaving Chicago and, and going to Cleveland. And um, so it, it's taken a while to rebuild that confidence. But I really I really think playing for Finland this past summer in Eurobasket, we averaged 28 points in a game. They were a surprise a surprise story out of that Eurobasket. They had a great 40-something points in an upset of Croatia. That was that was huge for him. How did that provide the blueprint for what he did for this team? It's not just that 40-point game. He had a 30-point game yeah. in the opening of that tournament against Israel. Like He was mm-hmm. doing it along the way, being the number one guy. You come into an NBA setting, it's not going to be the same as it is when you're playing international ball. But there's still things and threads that you can pull in to an NBA game. How'd that set up for what he's doing now? It just gives you so much confidence when you are the man for your country, when you play with that pride and that, um, you know, they're counting on you for those kind of, that kind of contribution. They're counting on you to carry them. And, and then he did. And he's, and he thrived and succeeded in that role. It's just kind of a reminder. Hey, I, I know how to play. I know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, when you have success, it builds, it breeds more success. And it, it, it also opened up the way that the NBA saw him. I think sometimes people forget how, how, how good he is because he had been put into these boxes in previous stops. Um, but he really can do it all. And, and I think the Jazz were a great setting for him to do that. When his, his longtime trainer, Dan Connolly, told me, he said, you know, initially he was, you know, he was bummed to get traded. Everybody's bummed when they get traded. It had nothing to do with Utah. It was, it was just, you know, he'd been settled in Cleveland. He had some success. He had some winning there. And then, boom, you're traded. Um, and um, he told him, he goes, look, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you because you're going to get opportunities to play here and go be the best player on the Jazz. And once he got his head around that and was focused, it, it, it was everything for him. And I, you know, the other part with Lowry, which I think people don't, quite always think about when we talk about players in the NBA he's 25 <laughs> he's so young still and he came over he got married young he had kids young he's got two two little ones I think they're four and two now that's a lot to do in a short amount of time like come over from Finland to the United States join the NBA become a professional become a husband become a father all under the age of 25 it's a lot uh, it's a big adjustment period and I think he's just more mature now. He's just grown, <laughs> just grown up. And, and, I, and, you know, I, I know how I was at 25. I certainly couldn't handle all that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in my early forties and I, and I have kids who are four and five months old and it's, it's a lot for me, <laughs> right? and I, you know, it's, it's a lot to handle. And so I think he's, he's really, uh, you know, come into an adulthood um, the last year or two that, that has been, wonderful to see for everyone who knows him it's been a lot for me to go outside of the state for college i can only right. imagine going internationally for it yeah to arizona now let me tell you about first colony mortgage they've been serving the lending needs of utah for more than 35 years As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. 
Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jets. The other thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned it before, those Chicago experiences, having different coaches. How can that impact the development of a player going through different regimes with Chicago, then now Cleveland, and then with Utah? How can that impact somebody's development to where finally you know, it can flourish here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't I don't actually think that Chicago and their coaches did anything wrong with, with Lowry. I think that's just a process of just discovering who you are as a player in the NBA. I mean, he actually had a lot of good things to say about um, his coaches and Fred Hoiberg and, and Jim Boylan in Chicago. Again, nothing bad to say about them. Um, you know, I think they he had good relationship with both of his coaches in Chicago. Um, the only thing that was challenging for him was the third year when they changed the offense and he really wasn't getting the ball like he was. And he had to learn how to play off the ball and not with the ball. I mean, that's, it's an adjustment. And um, especially when you've, you've gotten used to it a certain way. Um, the bigger change was probably the off season after that third year when they they were their whole skill, whole wholesale changes. And now it's not the regime that drafted you. And now it's not the regime that, that brought you along um, dealing with you in restricted free agency. So that, that was difficult. And I, I think, you know, especially that third year, I thought he was pretty, pretty open about the mental health challenges he, he faced there that year, how he saw sports psychologists and, and to just get his confidence back, you know, to, to really like, I like the, you know, when I asked him like, what did they tell you? What did, what did you work on? He said, you know, at some point you kind of have to stop worrying about what happens if I miss, like, and the consequences of if I shoot this and I miss and I'll be out of the game, this and that. Because as soon as I stopped worrying about what the consequences of missing, I started making them. <laughs> like started just letting go. I, I said, I think that's called letting it rip, right? <laughs> Having a little confidence, just let it rip. And that that was really what he worked on when he got to Cleveland. There's a part in the story where it, you know, he says to Kobe Altman, the general manager that says to him, hey, um, what's what's the most important stat? And, and Lowry says, wins and losses. Um, and Kobe goes, no, FGAs, field goal attempts. Like, we want you to taking shots. We want you to take at least 10 field goal attempts a game. At least 10. And it was very empowering for him uh, to hear that. And then J.B. Bickerstaff really was great for him and empowering him to take those shots, but also playing him on the wing, giving him a, a look in different positions, not taking him out of the game right away if he missed his first four shots. Um, that 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 really helps a player along the way when they know the, the coach and the organization has – not only had a trust in them, but a belief in them. And I think he he really felt that in Cleveland. That really was the beginning of the turnaround in his career. He's averaging 15 field goal attempts now. There the you go. Looking at the vibes around that team after being around them, how were they? How has Will Hardy enabled this team to have so much confidence? Because it's not just Lowry. It's Jordan yeah. Clarkson. It's, it's the entire parts that they have. How has this team transitioned into this new era under Will Hardy and Danny Ainge and the entire staff. You know, they um, they have a, a very strong belief in Will Hardy uh, in, as an organization. And, you know, they, they I mean, he's, I've been hearing about Will Hardy since he was a very junior assistant in San Antonio. I mean, he was, he was one of these young guys that was very impressive from a, from an, the, from the start. And, you know, Williams College, right? That's, um, and he's a, he's a guy that like Greg Popovich was very high on, 
they were high on him in Boston. Like everybody, everybody's been high on Will Hardy since he came into the league. And so I think there's this sense. Um, I think there was this uh, sense that he just needed um, the right opportunity. And I think that's why it was important for them to keep some of those great veterans around. Because if you, if you have a, you know, it's, it's fine to try to grow a team from the, from young guys up and, and build your own culture, you know, but it's hard to do that when you lose and when you don't have strong veterans for those young guys to learn from. And so I think Utah's done a nice job of keeping a good mix of players to where they can compete and start winning now um, rather than just completely tear it all down to the studs. And it's, it'll, you know, I know we all talk about how great this year's draft is and the players that, that are in that. And, you know, I kind of mess with the basketball gods, right? Um, it's uh, when you, when you do that, and I, I think the jazz are just, they're letting them play. They're letting the guys play. And, and I think that a lot of the veterans that are there, they're just, they're solid players. Kelly Olenek is, he's not just a guy that they traded Bogdanovich. Like they really wanted Olenek. He does exactly what they want. Is, is, a, is exactly the skill skill set that they wanted um and the the leadership and the the, the temperament um are really high on a lot of the, the the young players that they have acquired in these trades these weren't just throw-ins these were guys they really wanted um because they play the style that will hardy wants to play they have high character they, they they're they're the types of pieces you can grow and build around now i don't know if they keep up this pace um, they might come back down to earth a little bit, uh, especially if they have any injuries to some of the key veterans. But for now, I think it's really important for the Jazz to, to just let everyone play and try to keep building a, a new culture there and a new way of being because um, this is this is a the, you can do both. Like you don't have to tear it down to the studs and tank and and you know end up with the top draft pick like and but a horrible season. You can you can build a culture. Uh, at the same time that you're trying to reinvent yourself. And I, I think they've done a good job of that so far. It's been a nice story in the NBA. It really has like the, that, you know, especially coming in, I, I think they took quite a few uh, criticisms from some of the national media and they, they definitely filed those away, <laughs> filed those away for motivation later. Does this type of start make you reevaluate if you're a front office, what we have on this team, they've played so well together. They have so many good parts. Do you start to rethink, Hmm. Maybe we got something here. Yeah, I I think so. Um, now, does that mean I think they're going to make the playoffs? I, it's too early to say that. We're we're not far enough into the season. Um, but I I've always had this understanding that they were going to let this team play a little bit. Um, you know, if you, it, they'll always listen if people call about some of their veterans. So they have a lot of players that other teams want. Um, they'll listen. And there's but they're not in a hurry to to do anything here. They're not in a hurry to unload any of their their great their great players and so i think um they're good they're veterans right and you know i i reevaluate i don't know uh you know i still think this is a long rebuild but it at least for this year i think they're gonna let them play for a while and see how they do because you know one thing that's been stressed to me every time i've um been around the jazz is how much they value the fans there and the fans who've been used to a certain standard of winning and success it's really important for them to feel um, to, to, to feel like this, this team is given it, give it, they're giving them a chance to win, giving players like Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley guys that 
they've grown attached to over the years and who've, who've done great things for the franchise in the city, give them a chance to play, like, you know, see what they can do. And so I think that's a, um, that's, that's the way they're playing this so far. And it's gone really well. There's, and there's, you know, you can never underestimate how nice it is to have, have no expectations, right? There's no pressure on this team right now. Oh my goodness. Compared to last year. Eggs. And the year before where it was the year before. heightened, you were in the boiler mm-hmm. plate the entire time. Everything was yep. on high. This yep. has been so refreshing. And to see that opening night against the MVP, this team play so hard under Will Hardy has been phenomenal to watch. And I'm, I'm sure yep. even just from a league pass perspective for other people, it has to be fun to watch to see a team play so free. Yeah, it is. And it, it's a nice style of basketball too. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of styles in the NBA that I, I enjoy watching. There's some that I just have to, right? Um, it's my job to watch. This one's a, a nice style to watch. And, and they, they have some, they, they, they kind of know what, what type of player they want. You can feel that. Like the, the types of players that they can plug into their system. Before I let you go, reality TV that you're watching right now. Oh, I watch uh, Below Deck. Below Deck, okay. The one where it's kind of like an upstairs downstairs kind of quality and um it's a it's a the crew of these uh super yachts and they get the the people who rent them out and they they go out on charters and stuff and they you know they're always the the crew's always getting into trouble and they talking <laughs> i can't even say it on the show <laughs> there's uh they're always dating each other and having problems ah. and they make fun of the guests and the guests behave badly because they drink too much and it's a fun show um, there's one in Australia. There's Below Deck Australia. There's Below Deck um, Mediterranean. There's a new one that just started in Norway. It's all on Bravo. I'm a big Bravo TV girl. ESPN senior writer, NBA insider, Ramona Shelburne on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Ramona, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, man.